got some more words on the communion slides there, if that's okay, Ian. Your death, O Lord, we commemorate. Your resurrection, we confess. Your final coming, we await. Glory be to you, O Christ. For Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. I don't know if you know this next bit of liturgy. Um, I love it. I'm not massive on liturgy, but I do love some of it. And it might be new to you, but it may be all too familiar. Um, First of all, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you all. From where we are to where you need us, Jesus now lead on. From the security of what we know to the adventure of what you will reveal, Jesus now lead on. Sorry, I better click. To refashion the fabric of the world until it resembles the shape of your kingdom, Jesus now lead on. Because good things have been prepared for those who love God. Jesus, now lead on. Amen. Amen. Right, now we can go on to the other PowerPoint, Ian. Thank you. (laughs) Cause a bit of confusion there. Somebody pray for me, please. Amen. Amen. If I were to ask you who was the greatest stockbroker in the Bible, who would it be and why? (laughs) It's Noah. He was floating his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. Sorry, they're really bad, aren't they? (laughs) That's the subject we're on, is Noah. Chapter 6 of Genesis. Uh, So just sit back for a moment, uh, for a couple of minutes, and watch this clip. They said that one day, if man continued in his ways, the Creator would annihilate this world. Can I not be averted? He speaks to you. You must trust that he speaks in a way that you can understand. I saw water. Death by water. That's on your life. A great flood is coming. We build a vessel to survive the storm. We build an ark. men at my back and you stand alone and defy me I'm not alone
desperate, and there will be many. Take the I see how hard this was for you. Remember, Noah, he chose you for a reason. Has anyone seen that film? Yeah? <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a critique on it by any means. You may have all different opinions, but that's fine. Um, I do love a good film. I, I love to watch all kinds of films in order to look for a message, actually. I'm looking for a, a salvation message or a, or a Christian message from films that I watch. Um, that's not the only reason. I do enjoy films. It's not just for um, preaching or sharing or trying to um, see something of the gospel in these films. But that one I do like, particularly as we look through the person of Noah in this chapter, chapter 6. The word or the name Noah uh, means rest or repose, sleep or tranquility. Um, we know we get this um, tag to Noah's name out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands. Where it's all gone wrong, God steps in. Where it's a mess, God enters into that mess. Thank goodness for that. So many people in our society walk away and shut themselves away from the mess that this world is in. And we as Christians should never fear mess. Verse 8 of chapter 6 says, but Noah found favour in the sight of the Lord. We left last week on that note really. Noah pleases God. What does it mean to please God? Knowing what pleases God is our aim, surely, is what does it mean to please God at a time such as this, where people feel there is no hope, that another virus is scaring us into self-isolation and keeping away from each other, not contacting, having bodily contact with one another because of another fear-mongering approach to something that is small, does kill, clearly, but there is something greater than death, for we should not fear death. We should, in a sense, not out of context, but embrace death, because for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love that passage from Philippians. You'll hear me say it quite a lot, I guess. Noah what did God say, as it said in that clip, that um, Emma Watson was an, an adopted daughter in that, in that account. And Noah replied, he is going to destroy the world. Brogman says that God was not angry, but grieved. We're going to look at the wrath of God in the coming months at some point, I'm sure. But I, I, I want us to really rethink this angry God. If you've got a picture of an angry God, I'm not convinced that is the clearest picture of the nature and character of God when he looks at the world and thinks, 
oh my goodness, what's going on? What a mess. Why are they behaving in such a way? What is all this violence all about? What is this corruption all about? What is all this fear about? Have I not proven to you my love and my promise to you? I believe God grieves more than he is angry. Those around the time of Noah um, who were not concerned about God's concerns stated that human odds against Noah, boasting in the people that stood with them, the king of the land that he was um, rampaging, taking for himself, he stood there and said, look at my people, look at them. Who are you, Noah? You have no one. And what did Noah say? I am not alone in that film. Okay. Um, so um, using it a little bit, going beyond perhaps what we um, necessarily read in Scripture. But there's that sense that Noah, he may well have been afraid, but he did what God commanded him to. And he stood against all the odds. And for that, he was bold and courageous and God delivered him, made a new covenant with him. She said in that clip, this is the end of everything. And Noah says, this is the beginning. You know, when people say to us, this is the end. This is the end of the world. He's watched all those apocalyptic films um, where the world's coming to an end. It all, And then there's a saviour there. One person manages to sort it all out and get it back in order. And we know that person is Jesus Christ. It's never the end. It's the end of an era. It's an end of that, but the beginning of God restoring and bringing wholeness, healing, freedom into his world. It's now it begins. It begins right here, right now. Coronavirus and any other viruses and diseases and evil and corruption and violence in the world does not end here. It starts with us having the hope of the world firmly fixed in our DNA. Jesus Christ, the Saviour, who can heal Nations, let known individuals. I believe God was saddened then as he is today about the way the world behaves. How people have turned against him and not toward him. This is his redemptive story all the way through the, the Bible. This redemptive story of God going, turn to me, turn to me. And they turn away time and time again. And I think we may have a similar story at times where we turn away from God because we lose focus, because it all seems like it's coming to an end. God grieved and did not anger in those days as he grieves today. God moves out of his concern for his creation then as he does today. God does not step away but enters into the fractured world and lives of his creation. So we too must act as God acts today. God wills creation to be turned toward him. He does not commandeer it. He wholly trusts us to make the right decisions as agents of his plan on earth. Genesis 1 to 6, we've just travelled through and we're moving away from that because um, in a couple of weeks' time we're going to be looking and starting at Mark's Gospel, um, doing what Jesus does, daring to be bold, daring to be the arms and legs, the feet, the, the eyes and the voice and the ears of Jesus in our city, in our towns, in our streets. 
These texts are designed not for us to get so concerned about is this actual literal factual evidence of how it took place and what the ark looked like and, and where it landed up on Mount Ararat and the evidence that supports that. It's more about how do we engage with a God that engages with his world that wants to bring redemption and restoration and reconciliation and salvation to a world that seems to be ending in disaster. It isn't ending in disaster. It is growing towards the fullness of God coming in mighty ways. It is um, a, a section of the Bible that says, I dare you to explore who I am. You know, um, I wonder if we didn't have the scriptures as we, as we have them today and God said to you, I want you to write this down. I wonder what thoughts could come to your mind if you had to write the scriptures as if they weren't there today. Where would you begin? I'll leave it there for just a teasing thought. Because no matter how much I try to con uh, convey the nature, the character and the, the power of God and what God has done through Jesus Christ, some people just don't listen, do they? I didn't listen for 28 years. I had plenty of people coming up to me and saying, you need Jesus. And that was just, just like a, a, a red rag to a bull. Because I remember when um, I, I, I was a milk boy and I was helping this milkman and he was a, he was a Christian. And he was, he was obviously a Christian because he made it very clear that I needed Jesus. And, and, and he freaked the life out of me because he'd be singing songs while he's driving, praising God, and we'd be hitting the curb. And I'm thinking, I do need Jesus because I'm going to die here. It wasn't because I was wanting to believe. It was because I thought this guy was nuts. And, you know, he couldn't drive forward very well. I was only 15 I was only 15, I had my whole life. He might have felt okay, close to Jesus, and he's got eternal life, but I was happy with the life that I had. And he's driving along, he can't drive forward. I preferred him driving in reverse, because he was very good at driving in reverse. <laughs> and I had many people, and I've got many stories of people trying to lead me to Jesus, whom I completely, completely rejected um, at those times. One guy, um, I was walking home, I was again 15, and I met my best mate walking with another good friend. Uh, and it was a Sunday evening. Now, Sunday evening, when you're a teenager, it's going back home and the weekend's over and you're really looking forward to school. And, um, and I'm walking home, I, I've been down the stadium where I used to hang out in Bracknell, and, um, and I see him, I thought, where are they going? All suspicious. I said, where are you going? Oh, we're just going out. And I thought, no, no, no young person answers like that. They're hiding something. So I probed a bit more. I said, where are you going? Are we going to this youth club? Oh, oh, oh what youth club's that then? I said, I don't know that youth club. And um, in the end, I had to confess it was a church youth club. And I said, Dave, my man, are you really going to one of those? And he said, Brian, they've got some gorgeous girls. I said, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> and I went. I went on that basis. Um, and um, I'll tell you the other story later, but we got kicked out of the house group. But anyway... Um, I'll tell you that another time. Um, this whole approach to understanding the nature and the character and the movement of God is a real challenge. And I think Genesis 1 to 6 and beyond actually opens up this mystery because I read this quote just this last week. God lies beyond human rationality. If I could satisfactorily explain God, the God I explain could not be God. If 
God can be contained within the framework of the human mind, then God is no longer omniscient, omnip- omnipresent, and omnipotent. He is no longer that God that we want to explore and to enter into and to receive more of. Living the heart of God is the best way for him to be explained. Living his ways in our everyday life can only be the best way of people discovering there's something more to life than what they can see before them or what they've encountered or experienced previously. So, Genesis chapter 6. Very quickly, we're going to go through some of this. Um, we, started, we finished off with verse 8. We'll jump to verse 9 in a moment. Noah found favour in God. Why? Why did Noah find favour in God? He was blameless. He was righteous. He walked before God, it says in verse 9. And now we have favour because of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to wait for a specific hero of the past to give us that example. Jesus is the one that says, I favour you. I favour you because you are God's children. You are God's people. You seek to live a righteous life. You seek to walk humbly. You seek to stand against injustice. If that's your heart, you are living a blameless life. If that's your heart, you are favoured. And it's hard to comprehend this. As I look back um, pre-Christian Brian and post-Christian Brian, I look back and I thought I could have never comprehended this until that day I drowned in the flood of God's grace. Until you drown in the flood of God's grace, you can, will never comprehend the awesomeness and the magnitude of his outpouring on us and his favour on us. And it's not that we can boast of ourselves, we boast of Jesus Christ. We boast of Jesus Christ. And when I get it wrong, I know I'm forgiven. Not I do things and, and if I get it wrong, it doesn't matter. God, I have a repentant heart. Because I've once been drowned in his grace. The flood account is another example of that symbolic use of water washing all sin and evil, violence and corruption away from our own lives as we begin the new one. Freedom in Christ comes at a cost. That was shared earlier in prayers and in the hymns that we sung. This is a great cost. It cost God his greatest and most precious son. And to get to that point in our lives as human beings, would we be willing to do that? If you as a parent stood there with your two children in front of you and God said, right, one of them must die. You, Brian, have got to choose which child that is. How would you as a parent choose which child has to die? The only answer we can give is that I'll step in their place. That's the only answer. Could we really do that? Would we do that? If you were given the choice of what child I couldn't bring myself to choosing, God did that for you and for me. 
So Noah um, was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So you please God just by desiring him. You are born to love like Jesus. You are born to love the love that God is. Walking with him, we explore much more of this as we go through um, and we look at Jesus. And what does it mean to walk with him? Well, that's why we're going on to Mark's Gospel. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says, Noah's faith led him to obey. Genesis 6.22 says, he did everything God commanded. Living for Jesus pleases God. As it pleases God, we gain the most divine pleasure of living life in abundance, despite whatever's around us. And Noah was commanded to build this um, amazing ark. Um, And for Noah, he was given a clear instruction to prepare for the greatest disaster the world has ever known. Are we prepared for the greatest disaster that the world knows today? God brings men and women into deeper waters, not to drown us, but to cleanse us. And I think times like this, when it feels like we've got to be really careful because we can't touch each other, you can't shake each other's hands, you can't cough in front of each other, etc., etc. There are some very practical things to do to reduce all of this. But God, I don't believe God is sending coronavirus or anything like that. I don't believe that for one minute. But in a sense, unless we are allowing ourselves to die a death that God is able to cleanse us through, then we will not understand the freedom we have and we will live in fear constantly. God brings men and women into deeper waters, not to drown us, but to cleanse us. So fear not what you are going through. Just hang on to Jesus all the way through. Now, Noah gets this big vision, okay? He gets this big vision of to build a boat, Um, And there's no sign of water anywhere. Absolutely ludicrous. Now, there's a challenge on vision um, of what what sort of ark, what sort of church is God calling us to build? What vision is God giving us? And there's a danger here that we, we all get panicky about vision and overkill vision. Now, not everyone is called to lead big visions. Noah was one out of goodness knows how many at the time. But All are called to be builders of that vision. So when Noah set to task to build the ark, um, he included his whole family in that. At the church prayer meeting, oh crumbs, it's five past ten. At the church prayer meeting um, on Thursday, SJ um, said that she typed in about Breton Baptist Church. And what did it come up as, SJ? Right, you typed in Copeland Community Centre and you got Breton Baptist Church as the picture of the centre of the community. <laughs> what is God saying to us? What sort of ark is God encouraging us to build? Now, I've totally, totally got to jump right across 
um, because we are way out of time. So um, 10 and 11. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Um, This cannot go on any longer because God has brought a new order. His church, Jesus Christ, is leading the way to set us free from any um, illnesses, corruptions and destructions in our lives. God saw that the earth was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth and God said to Noah I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence because of them now I am going to destroy them along with the earth wow this is a challenging part of the text of the nature and character of God Um, And we're not going to have time to go into it. There's total wipeout. God is totally annihilating what had been built up because it was not honouring to him. And that's what we understand God is going to do as um, Jesus becomes fully um, um, glorified and um, he returns. We are going to see the um, erasing of all illness Um, and all death and all corruption, all sin. And he says to Noah, make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its width, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof or a window, it can be either, the Hebrew word, for the ark and the finish it to a cubic above and put the door of the ark in its side make it with lower second and third decks now I've got dimensions here but uh, we haven't got time to go into that but that's a replica of uh, Noah's ark in um, in Kentucky in the States uh, where it's a full-size scale and a, a sort of a thing park um, and uh, they've put out there looks pretty cool there's another picture of it and God says in the vision he gives to, um, to Noah to build, he says, for my part, verse 17, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God speaks vision into us and then he lets us know why the vision Vision is important. What sort of ark are we building? What sort of church are we building? We should never fear the world around us. He calls us to create a safe haven, a haven of promise, a haven of hope, a haven of healing and wholeness and freedom. Because he says in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. And his wife and family go into it and all the animals go into it, are are to go into it. He gives it very clear who this safe haven is, who this ark is for. God is making it very clear why we're here. God is is preparing us. Vision isn't about waiting until we've got it. Vision is realising that we're doing it. Vision is heading towards the greaterness of that um, plan of God. Already we're seeing lives changed here. Already we're seeing people um, open their hearts to the gospel in little trickles. Because that's all we can cope with at the moment. (laughs) That's enough for us to cope with. But God wants us to prepare ourselves for an outpouring, a flood of his grace upon people in our communities. 
And we have to be ready and know what we're building and get things into place. It takes time. If, it, if, it's, if it's easy and quick to build a vision, it'll fall down quickly as well. The ground has got to be prepared effectively. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded. So when you look at that picture, we're going to have to draw to a close. I'm not going to be able to show you the last clip. Well, I am actually. Yes, I am. Um, that picture reminded me when I saw that of Jesus when he wept, when he wept over Jerusalem. And it reminded me of another passage, that's Luke 19, another passage in John where Jesus began to weep. This is the, um, the pastoral text of Lazarus dying and Jesus going to raise him, but he didn't rush there. Um, and Mary and the Jews were, 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 were weeping and Jesus wept with them. Two figures there. I imagine one as Jesus and one as me. I want you to imagine that you are there with Jesus, looking over the city of Peterborough, the town of Breton, the street of your neighbourhood, maybe your family. And I want you to ask God to give you tears that will redeem those families, those neighbours, those neighbourhoods, Breton, Peterborough. I believe these pictures uh, are quite prophetic in line with the prophetic um, um, message that SJ brought on Thursday. Um, We're here because God orchestrated it. Took me 52, nearly 53 years, I'm nearly 53 actually, to get here. How long has it taken you to get here today? C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So this text reminds us to be righteous, to be blameless, to walk with God, to do as he commands, to have faith, to obey. This is how we build. We build an ark. And it is an acronym for this. So you're... Oh, sorry, can we have some... Really him, aren't you? You want more proof? I haven't done the pillar of salt thing in a while. That's all right, I believe you. I just, I don't understand why you chose me. You want to change the world, son. So do I. What? Why an ark? I mean, that's like flood territory. You wouldn't do that again. You wouldn't do that. Would you do that? Let's just say that whatever I do, I do because I love you. Well, then you have to understand that this whole building and art thing is really not part of my plans here. I need to settle into my house. I need to make a good impression at work. <laughs> what? Your plans. <laughs> what are you talking? I'm, we're talking about an ark, right? I mean, an ark? An ark is huge. I don't even know where I would begin. Well, I hear that a lot. People want to change the world, don't know how to begin. You want to know how to change the world, son? One act of random kindness at a time. One act of random kindness. I'm sure you've heard that before. 
But that's why we're going into Mark's Gospel, just to go out, be scattered servants. We're already out there. We're already, uh, another message, uh, I think Alan Pringle um, shared about the Gospel, the Great Commission. Just go. You, you and I already go. We already go to where we live, to where we work, to where we help out, to where we shop, to where we enjoy a day out. We already go. Let's start building on what we've already begun with. Acts of random kindness. And God will reveal his vision even more clearly than maybe we can picture at the moment. So let us go and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let us pray. The band will come and uh, conclude for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons of Noah. We thank you for the inspiration that comes from um, an account of a man who allowed himself to listen to you, to obey you, and to stand against the odds and for his plans to be completely dominated by your plans. May we allow our plans to be interrupted by your plans as we prepare to leave this place and to live out act of random kindness to all that we come into contact with and allow your kingdom to flood through us, touch and transform lives for your glory. Amen.